to Biblical Talks Podcast with Michael Tolliver. This podcast is dedicated to biblical teaching and having worldview discussions from a biblical perspective. Here is today's podcast. Beloved, as we continue to glean through the book of Jude, I want us to really contend for the faith. In other words, I want us to really wage war, wage battle on behalf of the true faith as put in God's infallible word. There is no other book in history that can be compared with the Bible. It is not merely human words about God. It is the very word of God to humanity. So we must contend for the faith. The written word of God is the voice of God in print. And as such, scripture is of divine source. It's in the class all by itself. That's why we must contend for the faith. The uniqueness of scripture is that it's alive. And it can pierce into the deepest pit, the deepest part of a person's life, of a person's emotion, of a person's thoughts. So, beloved, that means contending for the faith, we will suffer. On every side, we are hard-pressed, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, yes, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the life of Christ, the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our bodies. Beloved, I want you to listen to Brother Barkham and Brother Washer talk about our faith will be soon tested. Listen to this. This is some very good teaching. That this will be his last time. We figure that out from the last chapter. In the last chapter, he makes it very clear. If you'll go there with me and look there with me, these very familiar words in chapter four. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The end has come. He is fully aware. And he's facing it. There is one thing that runs throughout this letter. Really, it's parallel themes. It's, it, they're like... They're like a railroad tracks. They, 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 they run here parallel to one another. And you find it in every chapter. You find these two ideas in every chapter. The first idea is that Paul is writing to young Timothy and he is saying that you must preserve and proclaim the truth of the gospel. He knows that he's about to die. He's writing to his young protege. And here he is. He, he's saying to him, you have to preserve this truth. You have to proclaim this truth. 
the apostle knows that not only is he at the end of his life, but most of the apostles are now coming to the end of their lives. They are not going to live forever. And not only are they not going to live forever, but they're going to die martyrs' deaths. And as they die martyrs' deaths, there are a couple of things that Paul fears. And one of the things that he fears is the perversion of the gospel. And so he says in every chapter, preserve and proclaim the gospel. Look at it in chapter 1, beginning there in verse 12. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Look with me down in chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And again in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. In every chapter, over and over and over again, he says to his young protege, preserve the gospel, proclaim the gospel. This is incredibly important. If the message of the gospel is going to go forth, if the world is going to hear, the gospel cannot be perverted. It has to be preserved. And the gospel cannot be held back. It has to be proclaimed. And so he says, preserve and proclaim the gospel. But that's only one side of the track. There's another side of the track. And it's this side of the track that's the reason that Paul could not flinch in writing this letter to young Timothy. Because he says, on the one hand, preserve and proclaim the gospel. And on the other hand, he says, endure the suffering that inevitably must follow as a result of preserving and proclaiming the gospel. Again, every chapter. Look in chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We'll come back to that. Chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 8. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Go with me to chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. And then in chapter 4, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In every chapter, preserve and proclaim the truth of the gospel. And in every chapter, endure the suffering that will follow inevitably as a direct result of preserving and proclaiming. Why could Paul not say in his letter, get the guys who prayed, pray that God will get me out of prison? 
Because essentially, here is the message of 2 Timothy. The message of 2 Timothy is this. Timothy, they are about to kill me for preaching the gospel. When they do, you preach the gospel till they kill you. You can't write that letter and the one that I would have written. It doesn't work. You can't say to a young man who apparently had some struggles with his courage from time to time and needed it to be fanned into flames. You can't say to that young man, on the one hand, preserve the gospel, proclaim the gospel, endure the suffering that will come inevitably. And oh, by the way, I'm scared. When we talk about faithfulness in the midst of persecution, we're not talking about something that we can manufacture. Sometimes we talk about faithfulness in the midst of persecution. Sounds like we're trying to create a culture and create an environment that will enable men to be willing to do that which is unnatural when the time comes. And it is true that we have figured out over time and we've learned over time how to condition men to go towards the enemy when everything in them would say go in the other direction but when we talk about faithfulness in the midst of persecution we're not talking about conditioning when we talk about faithfulness in the midst of persecution we're not talking about Preparing ourselves beforehand so that we can and will be able to endure that. Because usually we're talking about something that we don't see coming, that we don't know is coming. You don't get a draft notice. You, you, you don't get a declaration of war. Faithfulness and the midst of persecution is something that comes upon us usually when we don't expect it and it's not something that men face because they've been conditioned to do so and if you do say to yourself if you if you hear the story of martyrs you hear the story of men and women who've who've, who've been been burned at the stake and have done so faithfully and been torn apart by lions and and did so bravely and you stick your chest out and say yeah yeah that's who i would be then you probably wouldn't because that's pride. And pride doesn't endure persecution. There's a difference between persecution and suffering. Make no mistake about it. Persecution is a form of suffering. But everybody suffers. Life is suffering. It's just a product of the fall. We suffer and we die. Persecution is different than just plain old suffering or just plain old death. Persecution is a suffering that we endure at the hands of our adversary, specifically because of his hatred of our Lord and Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what that means is, while suffering is something that is inevitable and every man will suffer, it's not so with persecution. Persecution can be avoided.
All you have to do is compromise. So persecution is suffering with a choice. Suffering with an option. We'll be back after a quick break. We'll be back after a quick break. Each month, Elder Tolliver offers a spiritually encouraging book to help you in your walk with Christ for any size donation. Please go to biblicaltalks.com to take advantage of this opportunity. It's suffering that you don't have to go through if you just... Stop preaching. If you just stop believing, or at least just say that you've stopped believing. If you just stop going that way and go this way. If you just stop pressing on this particular point. If you just stop raising this particular issue. If you just stop putting the emphasis on that saliva. Those who are persecuted have this in common. They come to a place where faced with that choice and were given that option. They say, I can't. What is that? But part of the preparation is learning to win the victory and to understand the purpose of the trial right where we are today. We gain experience with God, not on the mountaintop, but quite often in the valley. On the mountaintop, we, we don't necessarily, we rejoice in God, but we don't necessarily need his strength as much as we do when we're down in the valley. When we're pressed on all sides, like Paul the Apostle said, Elsewhere in the scriptures, in Asia, he said we were, we were pressed above strength so that we even despaired of life. The, the battle was, was so difficult that we didn't think we could survive it. So he says we had the sense of death in ourselves and we, we put away trusting in ourselves and we trusted in the one who lives inside of us who has raised us from the dead and given us life and promised to keep us and promise to sustain us. You know, sometimes my brothers, my sisters, we can find ourselves living in a generation where people are not going to read their Bibles and they're not necessarily going to listen initially to what you have to say. God in his mercy for their sakes, not necessarily for ours, but for their sakes, God in his mercy will let us be put into a place where they will see a strength in us that they don't have. They will see in us an ability to go through trials that they know they could not endure in themselves. So that Christ who lives inside of us, as the Bible says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, might become known. Now, where there's, there's certain times, there are, there are seasons where the gospel can be preached audibly and ought to be in all seasons for sure. But there are certain times where people are not open to listen, but they will see Christ in you. When you have to go, and I have to go through circumstances that they have no inner strength to go through 
and they come to the realization that there's a divine enablement inside of your life. So it's so important to win those personal victories now, those personal trials, struggles that you know that you're in. They're not public, but you know that you're in this trial. First Peter chapter one, beginning at verse three. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away and reserved in heaven for you. In other words, in the end, we win. We have a victory. We have a place in heaven. We have an eternity with God and who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now chapter four, beginning at verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. You know, there's sometimes in society some, as I said earlier, are experiencing it today in other parts of the world. We have biblical examples of times when it just seems the trials that believers in Christ are called to endure seem to be all pervasive. They seem to be everywhere. There are, there are times that maybe you and I will have to collectively go through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll have to go through difficult periods. Till that day, if it should come, I don't pray that it does, but there's no guarantee that it won't come. Till that day, may we be strengthened by Christ in the inner man by learning how faithful he is to keep us in every trial that we face today. That's what Peter was trying to teach the people of his generation. Learn to find the victory where you are so that when the greater trial comes, you will have an increased confidence in God that the God who has kept you in the past will keep you today and will keep you tomorrow. That you have so sown in your heart those words of Jesus Christ, I will never leave you or forsake you. Elsewhere, he said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome this world. Christ in me is my strength. Christ in you is your strength. He is our light, he is our hope, he's our strength, he's our song, he's our future, he's our present. He is everything that we will ever need is in Christ who lives inside of us. 
An example of this, when it became an all-pervasive difficulty for the people of God, is found in Daniel chapter 3. When a king got it in his head to raise up an image of man and told the whole society, you are going to have to bow down to this image. When we play our instruments, when we shout, and when we have our parties, when we do our celebrations, you will celebrate with us. You will bend and you will bow to our image of what man and mankind and society should look like. And if you will not bend or bow to that image we set before you, we're going to make it hot for you. You're going to go into the fire. We're going to bankrupt you. We're going to ruin you. We're going to charge you. We're even going to jail you. And in the case of Daniel, we're going to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace. Three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had suffered, but they had known in their suffering the keeping power of God, had determined in their hearts that they were only going to serve the living God and they were not going to bend nor bow to what they knew to be an abomination. This was a lie, and they were unwilling to bend or bow before this lie. And so when the music began to play, they refused to bow. When they were brought before the king and threatened, they refused to bend. They believed that God was able to keep them, and they told the king, and even if he doesn't, we're not bending, we're not bowing before the image that you have set before us. And it was this determination to go through trial, to go into the fire as it was. They were thrown in a burning fiery furnace and the king coming up and looking inside the door expecting to see nothing but rags and ashes. That furnace was so hot it killed the people that threw them in. And looking inside of that furnace, he said, did we not throw three men into the fire? But I see four and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. The form of the fourth is like something that we don't we've never seen before it's like something that can only it's a created being that can only come from the heavens that's what he was saying this is not what i'm looking at is divine and he saw this presence of god because three young men decided to go into trial and they would not bend their knee to ungodliness they would not bend their knee to an alternate view of what society should look like the eradication of God and the elevation of man, may we call it that. And when they went into the trial, because they were kept in the midst of the fire, this ungodly king saw the presence of God. Do you understand? Sometimes it's only when we go into the fire that those who are ungodly around us are able to see the presence of God in our lives. The one who walks with us through trial, the one who keeps us where nobody else could, the one who preserves us, when we should be perishing because of the circumstance around us. Then again in Daniel chapter 6, an ungodly leader of a country, a society, got it into his head that he is God. He should be God for 30 days. When, when people push God out of their society, there's no end to the stupidity that can get a hold of them. And so he got it in his head that nobody should pray to anybody but me for 30 days. And if it, just to make sure they don't, if anybody does, they're going to be thrown into a den of lions and eaten by the lions. And Daniel, of course, who had walked with God for years, and he knew the power of God and the presence of God. He knew the real God. He refused, and he went into his room. And as his custom was, three times a day, opened his window towards Jerusalem. He had a promise of revival in his heart, and he would not yield it in spite of any threat that came his way. 
And so he was taken and accused and he was thrown into the den of lions. Now this time the king didn't see what happened. It was only the testimony of Daniel when he came to that pit where he was thrown in. He says, Daniel, has your God been able to preserve you? And Daniel says, long live the king. God has sent his servants and he has shut the mouths of the lions. Now he didn't see it this time, but he heard the testimony from a man of God. The people around you will not always see the presence of God, but they will hear your testimony that God has been faithful to me. He sent a word to me and what should have devoured me had no power over me. Yes, the devil, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But God sent his word to me and God gave me an inner confidence and shut the mouths of the lions. And I am still here. Praise be to God. And in both cases, laws were changed because people in authority saw a deliverance from God that only God himself could give. And here's my point. If they had not gone into the trial, the kings would never have seen it. Beloved, contend for the faith. Have a blessed day. For listening to Biblical Talks. This podcast is solely supported by listener donations. Please go to BiblicalTalks.com to support this podcast and have a blessed day.